Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza here for the, I was going to say weekly Q&A, but Chris Anderson, we have not done this for a while. Um, we picked a heck of a time to get back into the mailbag, did we not? Sure did. And what set records for like the most questions asked, like two, three weeks in a row, then took a couple weeks off. I think bye week, uh, Towson game bye week, and yeah, yeah, no need for it there. And then, well, decided to open back up after that shellacking in Lubbock. And well, not surprisingly, whole, whole, whole bunch of questions in there for us to answer. Yeah, a whole bunch we can't answer too. I know that we don't get to, uh, I mean, most sometimes of the questions, definitely many of the questions, but some of these we like legitimately can't answer just because there's so much unknown and it's so much speculation, but I'm looking at a couple of them now. I'm just like, that's a good question. Can't possibly answer that. I wish I could. That would mean I could see into the future. And if I could see into the future, wouldn't be doing this for a living, Chris. Yeah. And then there's the other ones that are asking us, how does Neil Brown feel? about this does neil brown care i i don't i don't enjoy trying to figure out someone's feelings i mean we can discuss like what they do and how they act and what that might indicate but there's a lot of leaps that we're being asked to make here with with a few of these questions but i mean we're not gonna yeah we're not we're not gonna make this some easy podcast where we're just gonna answer we're not going to skip over the the football stuff and just answer a couple questions about the closing five for basketball and who's going to shoot the most at the point guard position or something like that. We're going to answer some questions, but there's some that are just, you know, what are you supposed to say? I mean, we can, we can be like a few other people and just sit here and scream into the podcast, Mike, and yell about how this has to happen and that has to happen. And if it doesn't happen right this very second, it's the end of Mountaineer football as we know it. But that's, I mean, sorry, that's not what we do, I guess, right? I did have a thought about pulling you to the side before this began and being like, what if we just did basketball questions only? <laughs> just stick our head in the sand. Like an April, April Fool's joke, but in, in October? Just like a 60-minute basketball preview, talking about like high screens, point drop defense, GAs. Guys making shots. Oh, is that true? That's what I hear. Um, shots did go in over the weekend. Secret scrimmage. Can't say much about it because it's a secret, Chris. But, uh, I mean, one team won by, like, double digits. One team did play with about two important players on the bench. Uh, one team did get very good contributions from the transfers in expected areas. Scoring, shooting, rebounding. Uh, one team saw some of those young guards and guards who are returning kind of fit into roles and do some things they're supposed to do. One team got good point guard play. I don't know which one. It's a secret. One team. Is that enough basketball? Uh, we'll we'll circle back on. There's a, a question or two we might want to answer from the pod uh, or from the mailbag on, on the pod here. Okay. Uh, busy day. Um, uh, I'll... No, we're not. I was gonna say we have to pause, Chris. But no, we're gonna get into this. We've already we've already sidetracked ourselves enough this morning with some messages, emails, conversations, phone calls. Now is our time to get back to business. If you're not familiar with the concept, subscribers on the VIP side, 
weekly. I have an opportunity to ask questions. We answer them in the mailbag on the podcast. And if you want in on this fun, two months of access for $1 right now. That that runs through midnight. Is that correct? Runs through midnight tonight. And yeah. I mean, if you do if you do the math on this calendar here, that's two months covers you for the rest of the season. And what may or may not happen with coaching situation. So if you are interested in that kind of stuff, I want to jump on that deal. The start of basketball season. And it will cover the entirety of the early signing period for recruiting, which given the potential for some coaching, whatever could really create some shenanigans heading into these final, but seven, eight weeks before this is a recruiting cycles, not done, but early signing period is done. I'm just telling you, West Virginia went to Lubbock three and three. This promo popped up. 4810. I'm just saying, that's all. Uh, to a little inside baseball, I guess, although it's not that interesting, but you know, they give you options. Hey, when you when do you want to run this? When do you want to run this two for one deal or two months for one buck deal? And they asked me and they gave me a couple options and I said, Oh, you know, there's no real big visit weekend until I think the next, I mean, there'll be a couple guys for TCU, but I think you're really eyeballing that Oklahoma game. There'll be a few guys and then official visits after the season. So that's one spot you look for big official visits, big recruiting visits. That's not really happening. That wasn't an option for this promo uh, coaching changes. Ah, I don't think so. And then it was basically just came down to this weekend and I said, no, oh, you know, who knows? Ho home game between two, three, and three teams. I don't expect too much to come of it, but we either run it or we don't. So I guess we'll just run it now. And well, might get your money's worth if you jump in now. I don't blame you. I blame the wind. <laughs> and the let's tortillas. get to the question. Let's get to the questions. All right, let's get started here. I, I mean, God. I'm trying to think of which way there there's 18 different ways that were asked about the Neil, Neil Brown situation, the coaching situation. Um, the, of course the first one and the most upvoted one was what's it going to take from Obro uh, assuming what's it going to take for him to get fired. I think, I don't know if there is a concrete definitive set number of wins, losses situations. I think it's feel, right? I mean, not feel, but kind of because if, this game against Texas Tech were say thirty-eight to twenty-seven, and just kind of ho hum. Is there as big of an outrage as there is now? I don't think so. So forty-eight ten, and the way it happened makes it a lot worse. If that happens again, maybe it's over after one more week. But who knows? I mean, my, is it is there a tangible, a set, concrete? What's it going to take? I think you're. You really dangerously point yourself, paint yourself into a corner if you do that. Like, because if you say, "Well, if they make a bowl, they're fine." Well, if you make a bowl, half the team transfers, and you lose forty-eight ten in your bowl game, and then some assistant coaches leave or go for other jobs, and all of a sudden you've got a skeleton crew of what you had when you decided to stick around because you wanted to acknowledge and and keep up your end of the bargain because you established a magic number. So I don't think you're going to see that. I think it's fair to say this: if they make a bowl game. Um, that's kind of like terra firma. And then conversely, as long as they're eligible for a bowl, you kind of owe everybody involved something. I'm not sure that's popular, but that's the gist that I get from a lot of people. And I don't think that's very controversial or surprising because 
listen, it doesn't look like a bowl is going to be the easiest or even likeliest outcome right now, but it's still on the table right now. And you, you kind of owe players who came back to school, players who came to your school, you owe them that you're paying people to coach and, and to get out of situations like this. You may have a lot of answers, but you kind of want all the answers, I think, too. And then that evaluation, which maybe begins with your athletic director on the sideline during games just to get a better look at stuff. That evaluation is not just the scoreboard and the stat sheet. It's, you know, are players continuing to get in lifts? Are they going to their study halls and meet with tutors? Are they getting the extra training? Or are the voluntary things, like the air quotes voluntary things, are those kind of training toward voluntary right now? Because the big thing is not the biggest thing all of a sudden. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden, if you lose the scent, you lose the trail, you lose the trail, you're not going to make the destination. Everything is, is important right now, and you might need a lot of time to evaluate that too. But my point being there that things may match up really well with what you want and might not hit a magic number. Like things can be great behind the scenes. Recruiting could be awesome. Everybody's morale may be good, but the team just can't win. You might talk yourself into a lot of the, the, the variables and rather than make a change, stick with somebody. I think bowl eligibility is probably like a minimum, probably. Then I don't think you're going to see anything until that's no longer possible this year. But it's such a complex decision. It's not just wins and losses and points in the board and the points in between you and the opponent. I think this is where it's so important to have heavy involvement in the program. Somebody that who is almost in it, like in the thick of it, that, that gets the feel of it. Cause it's going to take more than just like you said, like the numbers and the wins and loss columns, you are going to have to get in there and get a feel for the program from the players, from the other coaches, from the staffers, you know, have you lost the team? I guess is what they usually say. Have you lost the players? Have you lost the other guys on the staff? What's going on here? And I think, um, I don't know what the, who, who, I mean, I know who is stepping in. I don't know how quickly they were able to step in, but this is where people like Kelly's in who left for LSU right before the season kind of, it, that's where their importance is felt because I feel like she was intimately involved with everything that was going on with the football program, almost like the de facto AD. She was so involved with it. And does West Virginia have somebody else that has stepped fully into that role or had time to step fully into that role because it happened so close to the season? Um, and, and again, to get the feel of it because there are wildly different versions of six and six for West Virginia right now. Wildly different. And, and it, and it, like you were already at three and four. How can it be that much different going three and two? You know, what combination of three and two is going to be different? And it's just not about the actual wins and the losses, but how they happen, who they happen with, what the feeling is in the locker room. Like you were talking about with the try, the uh, workouts and voluntary stuff, our guys still bought in to what is happening with this program and the only way you're going to know that is with personal experience in the thick of it right there it's a great point on kelly zinn too they do have a replacement for her that's steve urius who's been around has worked with lions previously deputy is probably a good word for his job he's a deputy director of athletics he's the football administrator he's also the men's basketball administrator and a believe he works in the mac too so he's got a lot on his plate right now right but nothing against him i would just wonder how familiar can he be like it takes some time to find that pulse and a lot of it is will someone come up to you and talk to you will someone email you will someone call you you may be around all the time and ask the right questions but like that's only going to be part of the story 
and you know it's it's hard to get the whole story if people aren't comfortable yet talking to you maybe they are i don't know maybe i mean he's a pretty likable guy i mean i don't know anybody who doesn't like him so perhaps all the players are comfortable around him and talking to him but the other people who are important too are your academic counselors and your training staff your strength staff like i would say this the, the strength staff is around the players a bunch before during after the season too so you can get information that's that's pretty pretty cut and dry from a lot of sources here too it, it's very easy to do an evaluation it's just that it's not easy to make a decision Moving on to the next question. This is one of several from Cole1867, but I feel like we need to address it because, I mean, it, it's it's true. Uh, prior to the start of the season, both Mike and Chris had fairly positive outlooks at or around 7-5, and five, while many in the national media had us at or about 4-8. and eight. What did you guys see here during the offseason that gave you optimism, and how do you explain the disparity and subpar results we've gotten? Mike, would you like to go first, or would you like me to? Well, I was wrong on Kansas, like up until the day before the game, and I I always kind of thought Kansas is still Kansas until Kansas is no longer Kansas, which is kind of funny, but like also true. I was wrong on that one, um, and then I just frankly did not see them playing as poorly as they did against Texas Tech as and starting the way they did, and really twice now when they've gone on the conference road games, they just haven't had it at the start, and it takes something to play and win on the road and. Do not have that yet. I said a couple of times I thought this was a team that had the chance and, and had the, the constitution to be tougher and play better on the road and to win games that when you look at the stat sheet or the matchups, you would say they probably shouldn't have won that game. Well, guess what? That hasn't happened on the road. So I missed on that. Um, what is the reason? It's not one reason. It's everything. I mean, this is not similar like to you, you don't cut the court because of one thing. You take in a whole bunch of stuff. It's the same here. Um, their their downfalls in their games have not been the same. You can find common threads. We talk about stepping on the rake a bunch, for example. Okay. But the reason they lost against Pitt is not the reason that they lost against Kansas. Is not the reason they lost against Texas. Is not the reason they lost against Texas Tech. It's different things. I understand that. But I kind of thought they would have more. But my big thing is that one game I just didn't see coming in Kansas. And the second game, I just didn't think that they were going to be – immature is not the right word. I thought they were going to be more mature. I thought they had a chance because of all of the leadership potential they had with older players on offense and defense, getting an upgraded quarterback, getting some veterans in some spots where they could be young on defense, or just having veterans in key spots on defense. I thought they would be tougher a tougher out would not be a pushover on the road and, and look what's happened in their last two road games. Um, 45 to 10 uh, in the first half. That's, that's not going to do it. Yeah. I'm with you. I think when I look back on it, there were two reasons, one on each side of the ball that I kind of bought into this team being decent to good. Like seven and five, I think I even might have revised it to eight and four, like the day before the game, because I thought they could beat Pitt. I was right for about 58 minutes, 57 minutes. Um, but the big things that, that I was hearing in the preseason was that JT Daniels was legit, like legit, legit, not like, hey, you have a decent quarterback, but like, no, you have something very, very special. And I am a believer, and I've said it for years, that your quarterback is, I mean, it's, I'm not going on a limb here, is the most important piece of your team. 
It can make or break you. It can give you, add to you two to three wins. It can take away two to three wins, depending on your quarterback play. And so once I heard that he was not only good, but top-level talent good, I was buying into it. I thought he would single-handedly carry this team to a couple wins. That hasn't happened. He hasn't lost them any games, as we've talked about a couple times, but he hasn't won them any games either, I don't think. Um, And the other side of the ball, again, because offense has been more or less what I thought it would be. I think this Texas Tech game's pretty disappointing, but the offense saw the offensive line. You kind of know what you have at receiver. Hoping for something at running back, uh, because I think in my preseason I noted, you know, like, a lot of people are, oh, Letty Brown's gone, two two thousand yard seasons, and but the stats say he wasn't that great. Like he was good, solid, three four yards, cloud of dust kind of thing. So the offense has been what I thought it was going to be. Defense, thought defensive line was going to be good. I felt like it's been pretty good so far. Secondary, I thought it was going to be bad. It's been worse than I thought. Um, losing Charles Woods, twelve snaps into the season opener, that doesn't help. Uh, but I think the key piece here was I thought the second level would be decent to good. Um, I thought Lance Dixon, the way he finished last season, would, you know, he finished strong. The bowl game was his best game. He came out talking confidently about his performance. Coaching staff came out raving about him. Played nine snaps last game. Has slowly lost his starting job. Um, At the other spot, Bandit is still Bandit. It's still not doing much of anything so far this season. Uh, and then Lee Koba in the middle. He's been fine. He's, he's again, we've talked about it. He's Tony Fields light. Uh, he, he's extremely talented, big, fast, athletic, but gets out of position a lot, gets in the wrong lanes a lot, and, and it can hurt you if you can't make up for it. And he can't make up for it the way that Tony Fields did. And that was that position that linebacker spot, and specifically Koba. And I'm not blaming it on Koba because, again, he's been solid. He's been fine. But the way it was talked about in the preseason, the way he was talked about in the spring was it was an upgrade. West Virginia was upgrading at Mike linebacker this year. And I'm not sure that's the case for all of Josh Chandler's tomatoes, you know, good and bad, his warts, his, his great plays. I don't think it's been an upgrade. I think it's been a slight downgrade. At best, it's been even, and I was expecting it to be better based off everything that was said in the spring and the fall. A lot of the preseason prognostications about what you saw from the spring and the summer and how it was going to turn on the field just just haven't been it. And a lot of it's hoping. And and again, this this is this is unfair. I understand it because it's very easy for me to sit here and say it, but I just oftentimes wonder when they when we hear these things who they're trying to convince. I don't know if it's you and me or if it's the fans or it's uh, if it's themselves sometimes, which, again, is harsh. But, like, you, when you see so many things that sound great and on paper or on tape, I guess, and don't look good in the field, you wonder, too. Um, the two things that troubled me at the beginning of the year and gave me cause for alarm were, like, they were not getting a lot out of their tight end position and that their secondary was a mess and they couldn't tackle and cover. And golly, those haven't been true. Yeah, and... Some of that, a lot of that relates to um, what I, a story I wrote about. I touched on it a couple of weeks ago, just the lack of impact from transfers. Like, I, I made, we made the comment, hey, you, you made a pretty good 
I was about to say joke. I don't know if it's a joke anymore, but I made the comment that, yeah, JT Daniels was a hit. And then I said, what was the second best transfer in to the program? What was the second best one? And you said, maybe it was Lynn J. Dixon because he transferred in and then transferred right back out, opening up a spot for C.J. Donaldson. That's not great that that we're only semi-joking about that because what does that put West Virginia on the transfer market? I mean, we've gone over the fact that they lost so many snaps, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to the transfers out. But then the guys that you bring in to replace them, you got a good quarterback and then guys playing snaps, but they aren't playing very well right now. They did try. You and I have talked about this before, and including just recently. They went after receiver, tight end, tackle, and just didn't get it. And they're going to have to find a way to make do with what they have, of course, right now. But I wonder if there are ways to kind of break the glass and get some of these transfers going before it's too late this year. I mean, that was that's only real one way they can turn it around because, as Neil Brown said a couple weeks ago, the pieces are the pieces. He was speaking specifically about the secondary, and that holds true there. But everywhere else now, too, because I just don't think we're at a point to play other people. Although there was a question about that. I'm trying to find it right now so I can get the exact quote. Um, but it was. Basically, where where do you turn now, Mike, like as far as other guys playing? Here we go. From KP Callahan. Um, where do you go in the two or three deep and start giving the youngsters some more playing time? Are there some younger guys? He lists off a few, Trey Lathan, Raleigh Collins, Sonny Redwood, et cetera, that you think should be getting maybe not the specific players or replacing certain players, but maybe positions or position groups that you think these young guys should start uh, seeing the field. Here's your problem, though, that that's the list of candidates there. Yeah, it's not very long. Just said four of them, right? So I did like what I saw from Collins. I'm just not sure he's taking anybody off the field like he's a will, correct? Yeah, more or less. He could probably play, but Jasir Cox has been good since he moved there. And X-Ray Low is is still X-Ray Low. So that's going to be tough for him to get in. Can he play Spear? I think ultimately that's probably his 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 fate at West Virginia quite a shift for a guy in the middle of his first year right so that's gonna be hard um maybe he's a will i don't know we'll see in fact i think he might have been a spear in the camp and they made him a will anyways that's one lathan's one but west virginia's trouble is 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 kind of youth and inexperience and and a lot of the flaws of being new at this whether it's new to the team new to this level or just new to college football putting pressure out there i'm not sure that's going to fix it but redwood is one i think that has popped and has a chance because he he's he looked good in about 30 snaps. He had some nice plays and, and held up and didn't get moved around. And I, I think that's one I would probably feel better about than putting a guy, a linebacker or safety or something like that. Um, offense, similar. It's a short list. I'll be very surprised if we don't see more of Jeremiah Aaron. That just seems like he's a guy who has some juice and, and could do something. They just don't have a game breaker, a guy who's got wiggle and speed to, to give them that vertical element that they have. Probably too definitely needed that from the transfer portal. I think they tried um, and just didn't work out for him. But you look at who you have and what you have. West Virginia's numbers against man defense, contested defense, all that stuff, not very good. you got to get a guy who can get away and get open. And and that's probably the best guy that hasn't been exposed yet to defenses or even to his teammates or fans or the media. I'd be surprised if we don't see more of him because it, it's looked okay when he's been given a chance. And I don't know why he wouldn't pour more into him. 
Can they make him a slot, though? He can play inside and outside. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, not a lot of options right now at this point. I think the maybe the key, at least as far as the secondary goes, is what's next for Charles Woods. Um, 17 snaps, I believe, is what he played against Texas Tech. Not a lot, obviously, and, and that was the plan. And Neil Brown said it before on Thursday night, said they were going to ease him back into it. Again, he's one month removed from ankle surgery. It was that special anchor surgery that, that I wrote about. Um, and a month is about the timeline that you start doing some things. So seeing him get knees back into it seems to be the plan. And if he can play full time, that solves half, a fourth, a third, some, some significant chunk of your issues in the secondary. Because... Again, a lot of that is just inexperience and youth and transfers not working in that secondary. And if you can get one of those spots locked down with Charles Woods and you can get 85% of what Charles Woods was last year in the second half of last year, that's that's the difference. That That is a notable, significant difference for your defense, I think. Worst case for him is he got hurt again, though. Left the was game, it? came back. Um, got banged up again, as what Brown said. So I'm assuming he meant the ankle again, which can happen. I understand that. But, like, just, man, just, I just wonder with that four-game rule and the ability to redshirt and all that stuff um, and, a, and a season that may be going nowhere before too long, I just wonder, like, these next two games, I mean, like, are they kind of must-wins for Charles Woods? He's really got to think about himself here. Not rooting for anything. I'm just saying that's a possibility you have to consider because came back uh, 12 snaps in one game, 17 snaps. He's played 29 snaps in two of the four games he's allowed to play this year. If he's going to count it, um, does he want to be breaking his red shirt for a team that's, you know, three and eight, four and eight? We'll see. Yeah. And, and is he going to be able to build his NFL profile playing limited, hobbled snaps in four games, five games, the tail end of the year? Like, um, he's probably drawing Quentin Johnson a bunch on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So there's the showcase for him right there. We'll know more after Saturday for sure. But that's is he going to be ready to go more than 17 snaps on Saturday? I don't I don't know how you could say yes emphatically or effectively, but that's certainly an opponent for him to line up and see what he can do against. Real quick side cue for your A on Quinn Johnson. How over under three and a half hitch or short out routes that he spins and goes back outside and gets an extra 20 yards. He's fun, man. He's I liked him since the very beginning, just watching him and like watching that guy run um, for as big as he is, like big as he is, he runs a lot of screens and he's tough um, and yeah, fluid, swift, makes good moves. He knows what he's doing with the ball before he gets it. That's the best way I can put it. Um, I'm going to go over. Yeah. I mean, I, that his, his kind of go-to is like this hitch, a five, seven yard hitch, turns around, catches the ball and then spins to the outside back towards the out of bounds. And the guy's coming in to tackle him, and he knows the guy's coming to tackle him from behind. And you start spinning out of that as soon as you catch the ball, and it, it's hard to stop. You got, you're going to have to be disciplined in the secondary there. And unfortunately for West Virginia, that's not been what they have been so far. Um, moving on to the next question. Yeah, a lot of these are going to seem related, but you know we're we're answering what we can answer, and it's what you guys asked. So this one from Leg Making Ear. A five-star QB, an experienced offensive line, and Dante Stills. Seems like a lot of positive. 
what does this coaching staff actually need to win? Well, I'm going to let you handle this because you definitely framed this in the preseason, but we've already talked about some of the answers. Depth for one, and, and two, they had to hit on transfers. Like, this have to. They hit on one, great. But when you bring in a quantity like that, especially like in this uncapped kind of year, you got to do better than they did. Yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest issues were was the secondary, the second and third levels of the defense. It, it was where they were okay last year, maybe, and then lost several key players, lost a lot of their best players on the second and third level, uh, which really put them in a bind and which really required them to go out and find guys who can make a difference and who can, uh, you know, step right in and make an impact. And like you noted, they tried – the, you know, they went after some dudes, some actually legitimate players. And then the guys they got didn't think would be bad. And we talked about it, you know, before the year when it was discussing who was replacing who. And you looked at guys like Marcus Floyd and like, hey, that guy was all conference and all American, almost kind of like Charles Woods at the FCS level. Maybe he can be decent. Um, Wesley McCormick was one of the highest graded corners just two years ago before he got injured. So maybe he can be decent. And you keep going down the line, Jasir Cox, you know, he was he was all conference on a FCS national championship team. If one of the you just need one of those guys to hit and to hit well, like, I mean, not be average, but one of the and Rashad Ajayi, that's that's four guys. And you're just hoping you can hit one, maybe two. And you're doing fine. And I don't want to say they went over four, but. Are any of those four like true difference makers right now for this defense? They're not. You've got some a couple guys who are doing decently well. Jasir Cox, I think, has been playing better the last two games, maybe last three games. Um, Rashad Ajayi has been okay at times. Wesley McCormick is either really bad or really good. Um, he's really hit or miss there. Um, and then Marcus Floyd is currently, according to PFF, the lowest graded player on this West Virginia football team of anybody that has played more than 10 snaps. So, and he has played 348, second most, I think, out of anybody on the defense. So that's, that's not ideal. No. <laughs> and then, and the third lowest is Lee Koba, who was brought in to replace you're starting Mike linebacker. So again, the guys they brought in on this transfers just again, he, he's a, a junior college bounce back. You can call him transfer. You can call him a junior college commit, whatever you want to call him. But you, you're trying to find the guys that they hit and they just didn't hit and left a big gaping hole on that side of the defense. The offense has been all right. I think that was the concern that you kind of painted early in the year, too, is that they make these changes and all of a sudden the offense doesn't work. Then all of a sudden, like, it yeah. looks like just the milk's gone bad. That's That's been okay. I think that it's not been as terrific as they want. I think their limited vertical passing game, man-to-man they struggle with, it seems like. But their offense is better, and a lot of it's because of the changes they've made and also just kind of a natural development and evolution, too. So it's it's not worst case for the program. Another one, again, similar but different. This one from Leighton. What do you guys think is the biggest reason as to why Neil has failed here so far? 
Does he make midseason changes to try and buy himself more time or leeway? That's two two separate questions, but feel free to address one or both. Hmm. So coaches are like politicians. I've always said this before, where your number one job is to keep your job. So like a politician's top priority is to get reelected. So in, in some regard, he's kind of already done that because he got his extension, but that doesn't mean anything. So then you just kind of go back to the, the ground level here, which is his job is to keep his job now. And ultimately, he's going to be graded on two factors here when it comes to that decision. However, they sure seem to me to be at odds. One is going to be keeping my job by pulling this team together and winning enough games to be bowl eligible or have the strongest five and seven you can possibly put together. The other is let's do what we can with the cards we hold in our hand and make sure that our foundation is as solid as possible moving forward. Those are not holding hands, walking down the same pathway to me. They're very much an intersection perhaps right now more than ever. So can he scramble all the pieces he has and put together something different, but something winning that gets him to six or seven wins. Or does he continue to, for example, you know, run his offense, the offense, hit a lot of screens, try to work the outside, run inside and outside, knowing that it could pay off. You could beat some teams at the end of the year, but you do enough. You're happy enough. You get a lot of people back for next year. And then all of a sudden, You go into year two with this offense, this identity, perhaps many, most, all the players on offense, and then things are really good next year. I don't know. That's what's fascinating to me right now is that those are two very likely outcomes, but they're also very different paths to take. Um, His biggest problem for me has just been the organization and the deployment of the talent acquired. And... Players have kind of plateaued early, it would seem, in their development. Players maybe haven't gotten to where they thought they were going to go. And I, I just kind of get back to this a lot. Like, it seems like the thoughts and the outlooks shared with us, and not just you and me, Chris, but like fans, media, it could be radio show, news conferences, Mac, whatever. It just never quite gets there. And it's okay to be wrong every now and then, but like, I just wonder who or what was the last time the last example when we heard, hey, if all goes well, we're going to get this, 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 and this, and it clicked. It, th- there's been a couple, don't get me wrong, um, but great ideas, you know, international recruiting pipeline, getting FCS defensive backs because they have a chip on their shoulder. Um, I'm just cherry-picking two there, but it hadn't worked out. And you could probably extend that to other things. It could be players. It could be position groups. You know, how long have they been trying to incorporate tight ends? It took four years to get the offensive line going. Um Running game is better now than it was before, I guess. That took time, too. But just it seems like that a lot of the stuff that, hey, if all things go according to plan, it'll look like this. The plan has not followed the script. It hasn't looked like they wanted to. And the accumulation of those examples, that's really stunted, I think, um, the progress of the program. So I'm glad you went where you did there because it's something I – made note of and we might have even talked about it on this podcast i'm having like flashbacks here i don't know if it's deja vu or if i'm imagining it but early on you saw him involved him being neil brown 
in everything, absolutely everything about this program, from the calling of the plays to how practices were run to being involved in every single drill to even getting involved in the social media content, talking to GAs and handling recruiting stuff and everything, spreading himself out everywhere and making sure he was involved in everything. And I think I'm trying to remember, maybe made a joke about it because he was late to a lot of press conferences and it's because he was doing everything. And, and once you get so focused on trying to do everything, you're not focused anymore. You get so you get so focused on everything, you're no longer focused. And it extended to not just his involvement with everything around the program, but as you noted, the stuff with like recruiting. Like, hey, we're going to go international and we're going to go to Florida and we're going to go to St. Louis and we're going to recruit in Illinois and Indiana and we're going to recruit in the Northeast now, too. And we're going to recruit. It's like, whoa, hey, just find like four spots and hammer it home. Like that that's how you should, your recruiting approach should be. Your, your offensive approach, like you said, like, oh, the running doesn't work. Let's focus on that. And then you start losing it elsewhere. I, I think it – I don't want to see he spread himself too thin, but it's just one of those situations where he seems to be spinning a lot of plates, and once you have 10, 12, 15 things going on at once, it, it, you're going to start losing things, and it, it's all going to come cascading down at some point. And I think it started to overwhelm him, and I think that first step of letting Graham Harrell – handle the offense, which maybe I'll have a follow-up on that in a second. That was step one to maybe getting away from that. And that was when that happened in the offseason, you and I both applauded that as a win because that was that was a move he needed to make in order to try to make this work. And I'm wondering if he can continue to do that if he's still given the opportunity so that they can get laser-focused on something and, and move forward. Did that make sense? I felt like I, I, I felt like I got unfocused because no, I tried to stretch it out. I follow it now. Unfortunately, like what a lot of people are are probably not piecing together is that anecdotally, Chris, you and I've heard so many stories through the years about just different parts of the program, um, recruiting apparatus, social media, and and creativity stuff, graphics, whatever. Um, scattered. Would that be a good way to put it? Yeah, just like I mean. Like, how many head coaches do you think are directly involved with what's being put out on social media content or what's being like graphics that are put together? Not much. Like, that gets relegated um, or delegated or both of them. But uh, yeah, yeah, go on. Like you said, he, involved in all of that. Yeah. And then that rubs people the wrong way sometimes. And now, it takes you away from it. From yeah, from it, from the stuff that you're supposed to be, you know, that that's most important, at least as far as everybody else is concerned. Yeah, and I, and I bring this up because, like, I, I had forgotten about this completely, but like, this was brought up to me the other day. Is like Brown was kind of perturbed the other day uh, after the Baylor game that the social media team had put out the award winners before he had had a chance to announce it. Yeah, does that matter? And like, was was the hand not close enough to the glove there? So, to, to, how much does that matter? I don't think it's the tipping point for any decision one way or the other, but this is a mosaic, man. We keep talking about this. It's it's a big picture. You got to really step back and take a broad view from it. Everything matters, so on and so forth. There's a million different ways I can say it. So, uh, yeah, I think I think people might listen to what you had to say and be like, 
well, that is broad. It is unfocused. It's not because that's the point. Focus. And, yeah. and sometimes you just wonder about things like that. So in, in my long rambling unfocused answer, I mentioned Graham Harrell taking over the offense and I had, I think there was at least one question in, in the mailbag, but there were about 10 on Twitter, 20 on the message board and a handful more in my inbox. And you can answer this with just a yes or a no, if you like. Does Graham Harrell have full control of this offense? You could talk me into either one. I just, I just think yes. I just think I would have heard something. I, that sounds like very um, conceited. You know what I mean? Okay, but I just think I would have heard something. I just, I, I see a quarterback who makes some checks and makes some reads. You know, sees this, gets out of that, and everybody's okay with that when it works. And did it work perfectly Saturday? Did not. Um, as, as you and I discussed, discuss, Chris, um, it just seemed like that Texas was Texas Tech was playing a game a little bit, maybe, where they knew if they showed something that West Virginia was going to check into something, likely a screen, and they would jump on it. Um, maybe they spotted a tendency. Teams watch film, you know. Um, it, it's possible something like that happened. But by and large, everybody's been pretty happy that Daniels has been allowed to stand behind the center, look at the defense, and say, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to do this. We talked about this on Wednesday. You know, all this detailed preparation when he spends certain times on certain days of the week on specific aspects of the defense. That is so he can get into those specific situations, third and short, um, whatever, whatever down and distance and part of the game. He's prepared for that. So that's okay. I think there's a lot of leeway, but he might get a couple of plays and gets to pick the best one of them. He might have an absolute call. Um, and it worked out well, by and large. Didn't go great Saturday. Does that mean that like all of a sudden Brown's meddling? I don't think so. And I guess my 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 question to the question that would maybe have to stand as my answer. What was so bad about the offense that made Brown insist that he involve himself? You know what I mean? I just don't see that. Now, he's definitely involved in game plan. They bring all the coaches around and maybe he's getting a little bit more authority to run the ball or to get three backs in the field or whatever that's possible. But game day, is he shutting off Graham Harrell's headset? Um, I don't think so. Is he saying, Hey, you got four downs here. So run what you want to on third and eight possibility. I don't think that's meddlesome. Um, I think what people want to think is that has he been some corruptive influence on the offense. That's going to make Graham Harrell mad and leave. I, I don't see that. I just think I would have heard or seen more of that, but I certainly I identify with the concern people have. Yeah, I don't. There hasn't been this same rumblings or talk or even flat out quite about, you know. I mean, it was just a couple years ago where it was, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes Parker calls the plays, and sometimes I do, and sometimes we switch it up in the red zone. And actually, everybody calls plays because everybody's an offensive coordinator, and we're all in the room and all that stuff. And that just hasn't been around this year. So I do think Graham Harrell has full control. And again, the offense has been fine until this last game and I don't want to you know throw out the entire offense because of one bad game it was it was atrocious I think bad might be a little light on on how bad it was um but it's still one game so far there have been some cracks that we've seen and we've noticed and we've talked about in the games leading up to it but in the end ultimately the offense did played well enough to win in basically every game uh, maybe not Texas, but yeah, um, 
but in what five of the seven games the offense has played well enough has played winning football and mm-hmm. and one game it was not great not that great and then one game is terrible if you told me that before the season i said hey that's pretty good that's not bad if you can get five great offensive games one meh game and one bad one that's fine um see so yeah, i'm with you i don't i don't think that's changing i think um I just there's just no indication I, I don't think uh, uh, that Neil Brown has taken over so I'm with you on that fully it's worth a question behind the scenes for sure but I just yeah. I haven't gotten that yet um okay moving on to a big picture question I thought was interesting because I think there's some news that came out about this recently uh 8389 grad asks what do you guys foresee for the future of NIL I believe Mike stated recently that he expected the NCAA to rein in the whole thing let me ask you this, Chris, like how how important is it? How much of an asset, how much of a detriment is it right now for West Virginia on the level you deal with with recruiting? I don't. I don't think it makes that big of a difference for West Virginia recruiting, to be honest with you, because. I think West Virginia can compete with. The second, third, fourth tier, whatever tier you want to put them on that's outside of the big money teams. And so I think you you can keep the playing field level with them. Like, oh, yeah, they can't compete with Tennessee. How often was West Virginia beating Tennessee for recruits? How often was West Virginia beating Alabama for recruits before NIL? Like once every two, three years, maybe one player a year, West Virginia is beating a blue blood for, for a recruit a legitimate win in in the recruiting trail. Um, So I'm just not buying that NIL is going to kill West Virginia's recruiting chances. Um, I do think there was uh, the NCAA is sending out a letter or just did, was about to, um, credit to The Athletic, I think, for breaking the story, or maybe it was Ross over at Sports Illustrated. that they're sending out a letter to remind teams of what NIL is supposed to be, which just makes me laugh because I don't think any of the teams really care. Um, but, you know, because it's not supposed to be tied to you playing for that program. It's not supposed to be exorbitant sums for basic things. And that's something I've talked about with my own experience because we have had those opportunities to pay players to do stuff. And as a business owner, you put a dollar amount on how much it is worth to have said player advertise, to do a podcast, to do the story. We had um, Stevenson on from the basketball team to ask questions or answer questions on the message board. That was worth a sum of money to me. Um, and you, as you say, okay, is the cost to do that the same or less than what it might be worth to me? If it is, you do it. If it's not, you don't, except what's ending up happening is that something that a traditional business might say that's worth $100 to me, you are just basically having donors saying, well, I'll pay 10 grand. I'm going to give 10 grand to the school anyway, but now I can just pay you 10 grand and I get to write it off as a business expense for quote unquote advertising. So it's even more beneficial to me than it was before. So now I can give more and you go down that path where it's just another way to make donations to the school and to play, but you can make them directly to players. 
And that is what they're trying to rein in. And I just don't think they're going to be able to. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I I think my immediate watch guard that I expect you'll see is that you're going to see, for example, a head coach can't pour $2 million of a salary into NIL to go to a player or whatever. I think you can do it to support like a collective or a fund or whatever, but like to a specific player or, or group of players, I think you're going to have an issue with that. Like that loophole is there right now. Again, they did this on their own. So like the NCAA is like not even playing catch up. Like they're, they're hundreds of meters away from even beginning to play catch up at this point. I don't know if that's a great analogy, but like they're so far off the, off the pace, but what can they actually do? They can control their membership. They can't control collectives. They can't because they're all different and they're separate and they're not affiliated but they can make sure that athletic departments and universities and all that aren't inflating funds. That just means that the money's going to be laundered another way. That's all. But at least they're going to be able to sleep well at night. Putting out that memo is the best thing in the world. That just means, hey, we know the problem, and now you know we can't do anything about it. That's what that memo says. And they just keep doing that stuff. I just don't think that's the best thing to do. But they can – um. Right now, like you could have athletic departments, coaches, whatever. You can say, "Hey, I'm gonna use this money to support NIL initiatives," but that's it. At 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 blank university, blank state, blank college, you can't say, "Hey, this is going to the football program," or "Hey, this is going to a quarterback we're trying to recruit or retain or whatever." But that mechanism is there right now. I don't know how long it'll be there. I think you can control your membership over the NCAA, and that's that's a start, and maybe not not too far from where they can actually go. Next question. Basketball. You ready? No? Yeah. Well, let's start out simple. One uh, number, I guess, answer. On a scale of 1 to 10, you can go more than one number because I'm going to. How excited should we be for the upcoming basketball season and why? From the big dude. Well, ooh. So I get this because a lot of people don't have a very high ceiling for him. On the same level, though, what you don't know is what you don't know. Maybe that's why you watch. Um, You're on the right path here. Basketball can be kind of tedious at times. It seems like it just it's difficult for good things to happen. But you just watch the football season at this point. So maybe you're kind of accustomed to that. I'm going to go solid like 7.3. I like it. I'm high, too, on it for the reasons you just mentioned, like more than any other season, this is a season of unknown, which makes it that much more exciting for me to watch, which would put it, you know, up closer to a 10. Like how excited should you be for the season? I really want to watch this basketball team. I really want to see what it is. Cause I really don't know. And no, this is not me hedging my bets for my upcoming basketball preview where uh, I, I try to project every game of the season. I, this is this is a team, obviously, with so many transfers, but so many changes and so many like it, it's not just the transfers. It's the types. You you know, you have guys coming in that were junior college all stars. You have guys who played for Big Ten schools. You have a guy that played for Frank Martin. You have a guy that um, was already here before. And Emmett Matthews coming back and a, a guy in Trey Mitchell who has the potential to be really freaking good. Hasn't got there yet, but has the potential to be really amazing. And I, it just could, I, you could tell me 
you know, come back from the future and tell me that West Virginia won 28 games this year and made it to the Elite Eight, and I'd believe you. And you could tell me that this thing exploded spectacularly and West Virginia players got into a fight over whether or not they were going to play in the CBI. And I'd believe that as well. Yeah, I, I hope people understand this. Like, if you're listening, you probably root for the team or the players or the coach. I get that. I root for the story. And there are so many stories on this team. Yeah, I was just, yeah. to make clear that that's my excitement is the story. Not like I'm not excited to see this team be great. I'm excited because. It could be anything. Yeah. So if I'm going to prescribe a number, I think I could also probably pen out 7.3 to people too, because you got a really good coach. Like whatever his recent track record is fine. Whatever his brand of basketball is fine. Whatever he said about the portal and then actually gone into the portal. Fine. I get all that stuff. Those are concerns or complaints. Hey, cool. Valid. Understood in my pocket, but like, he's going to have to have the magic wand this year and to make sure that he can balance like, 14 scholarship players like Josiah Davis is a walk on. That's a scholarship player. He had a scholarship before. So like he may not play this year. It'll be certainly worthwhile to watch like what happens if their point guard play stinks in like December. Maybe they play him. I don't know. But like that, that would be ancillary to a larger point here is that how they blend in different personalities, different players, junior college transfers, division one transfers, guys who didn't like it here left and came back guys who have been on four college teams now incumbents who are sophomores incumbents who are seniors true freshmen like there's a whole lot here to, to massage and by the way never mind the personalities the positions but just different styles of basketball offensively and defensively depending on the personnel and the opponent too um it, it, it's like a notation season for me like there's so much stuff especially early on when like you know you're just trying to drink out of the water hose so to speak for a reporter that you're going to have to be jotting down and trying to remember because it'll probably come back. You're going to see a lot of stuff, I think, early. Maybe not a lot, but more than normal. And just effort to find an identity and to find a groove. That's going to be fun, I think. Um, next question. Maybe the last. We'll see what's going on here time-wise and everything. But WVUG13 asks, well, he asks about the, the starting and closing lineups. And you and I did this before. We put in together our potential starting slash closing lineups. I don't actually recall what those five were, but I'm trying to think of what I've heard, maybe what you've heard since then, because that was months ago, a couple months ago, three months ago. Has anything changed maybe about your starting or closing five for West Virginia basketball this season? Would you like to put out a new five right now? I um so our friend Josh Witt does the Unreasonable Doubt podcast and he I was on his preseason episode uh, I guess it would have been on Friday plug wow humble brags go ahead send me a check Josh but he asked me like a similar question about starting five and like man I ramble because I, I just don't know I, I really don't now they've played twice now without Mitchell. Granted, the, the starting lineup for the gold-blue game didn't really count. I get that. But they played the secret opponent, Dayton, um, without Mitchell and without Pat Sumnick. But So they've, they've kind of had to work on some front-court combinations, which is good. But I, I can't I can't imagine he's out of the lineup. But I've seen lineups without him that looked like they worked okay. And without him, it, it's, just a, it's a different void because who you put in, it's not the same player. Like, if he's playing the five for you, which is not unreasonable – like, if they play three guards, Matthews and Mitchell, 
that wouldn't shock me. I don't know who the third guard is, but like they have so many guards and they're going to need points, I think. And they and like maybe shooting is an asset. So getting three guards out there isn't a bad idea. Matthews at three. Mitchell at five. I can see it. I like okay, that lineup, but, it, but I know but that's not like, Bob Huggins lineup. But. Right. But if you like that lineup and Mitchell isn't out there, well, then who's your five? Well, it's Big Mo or, or it's Bell. And those are very those are three very different players. It means you're playing different basketball with three very different players, too. So it, it's I, I just don't know what they're going to do. Like they could play a three guard lineup. But match it up to the front court of the other team, if that makes sense, because like a big guy, maybe he helps better with rebounding or maybe like a stretch kind of a five. <laughs> I don't think Mitchell's like a stretch five or a five, but like I think he can score it in the block, but he can also shoot it. Um, and then, and Big Mo rebound, defense, run, play above the rim. Probably not going to run a ton of offense though, but he could finish things. Like that's that's just very different. So I don't know. Like I can also see them being just one, two, three, four, five, where it's guard, guard. Um, you know, Matthews, Mitchell, Big Mo. I think that's probably how they'll start. I think they'll start Johnson, Stevenson, Johnson, Stevenson, Matthews, Mitchell. Big Mo. That's my guess for this first starting five. And then to finish, I absolutely can't give an answer. And, and I'd be surprised if they even think in that concept because so much of the season is going to be played in the flow, hot hand, who's good, what works, that um, how they get to the finish may depend on are they playing from behind, are they playing from the lead, are they going back and forth, do they need defense? It, it, but to their benefit, they probably should have enough players that they can configure their lineup to match whatever situation they need. And that's a big thing because they got caught stuck in different lineups against bad matchups last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully with you with just the complete, I guess it's versatility uh, yeah. amongst the, the big men because no two are alike. You say, oh, you got Jimmy Bell and then uh, Big Mo. And you're like, wait, those two guys, despite both being 6'10", uh, new guys from junior college, that is about the end of their similarities. They could not be more different players. Um, James Conquo, again, different type of player. Uh, Trey Mitchell, uh, Sumnick, 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 um, different players. Like they're, they're forwards and they're different players. Like it's just, I just, you could throw out all sorts of different guys. You could see West Virginia putting out, like, like you said, three, um, three different guys that are six, seven or taller. Or you could see them going with three guards. And again, still have some length. And it all will depend on how it's going to end. Um, I, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be on the closing five. I'm with you. I think it's going to change from game to game. I agree with your starting five right now. Um, but I could see, you know, I could see at the end of the game where Tucson is is in a point guard with Stevenson instead of Keedy Johnson. Or maybe all three of them, if you're really getting a lot of guard-heavy um, looks here. But I think the thing we really need to talk about, Mike, something the most important thing to talk about right now, oh. is Jimmy Bell going to share his weight loss program? Because He looks I fantastic. I don't know if you saw. Well, he looks fantastic. But also, uh, Rostein, uh Said he lost seventy pounds in the last two and a half months. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was a big dude. He's a big, you, big dude. But seventy pounds. Seen, remember, offensive tackle. Like he was trying to play offensive tackle in football for a while too. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, we, he has a recruiting profile. He has a, a football recruiting profile on twenty four seven sports. The they put a video up uh, 
yesterday, I guess, Sunday, of some highlights from the secret scrimmage, which I don't even know why we're doing this anymore. Like, why is this, <laughs> like, so shrouded? But uh, I'm pretty sure it's him, and he's driving and laying it in. Yeah. Who is that guy? Don't I have know. no idea what happens to him. I have no idea what happens to him. But the first thing they said when they when they got him to visit, commit, sign, was that, like, listen, um, it's going to take time. It's up to him. He's done everything the up to him part entails so far. So good for him. I, I, I there's something there. Obviously, he's he's athletic. He's big. Um, and man, he's willing to work. And if he can take care of that part right now, I think you're okay with trusting him to be like, okay, I'll develop a baby hook. I'll shoot seventy something percent from three. I'll box out in the free throw line. Like if if just the will to drop seventy pounds to get in the court is there, I think you can feel good that he's going to do the other stuff. Is he going to do it great? Don't know. But I don't think you have to worry about him not being in the gym and not spending time after practice or before practice. It just seems like if he's willing to do this part, then the other stuff is going to be, like, welcome for him. That's not working out four times a day and eating, like, salad upon salad upon salad. That's like, I'm going to go work on basketball now. That's that's probably something to embrace. Um, Sean Brown, uh, strength and conditioning coach for the basketball team. If you're listening, give me a call, okay? Just saying. <laughs> Got to get into swimsuit shape before over winter, over winter. So uh, give me a call sometime. Uh, Mike, were there any other questions in the uh, mailbag there that you feel desperately need answered on the podcast? Again, I will answer any that we don't touch on in written form and post that Tuesday morning, but any that we need to discuss right now. Yeah, but ones I just can't answer. Wish I could. Like. Yeah. It's this guy going to get fired? Should he feel the hot seat? Like, there's there's no great way to answer a lot of those things. Um, I think we answered a lot of them that overlapped a little bit. So if you didn't see your question, maybe, like, part of it made it into another one. Same idea with the answer that I think we would supply. But um, the other part here, the, these questions are going to get recycled or, or repainted every time they play a game right now for football, too. So stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, and there's – I think there was at least one – that was another, again, all these, there was a lot of good questions in here. Um, but there was another one that, and every once in a while, we, we make it into a full story. So if you don't, if you didn't hear us talk about it here and you don't see me write about it Tuesday morning, look for a full story later in the week. Plug. Nice. Mm-hmm. And if it's VIP, you can get it. Join now. Two months, $1. Plenty coming up on the site this week at Neil Brown tomorrow. Tuesday, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, uh, brown paper bag selection of players. No idea who's in there, but they'll show up. We'll see. And man, Chris, a, a top 10 undefeated team is coming to Morgantown for a Halloween weekend game. And how many times in the past would that be just a circus, a Mountaineer field? Um, yeah. And it just doesn't feel like it right now. We'll see. It's only Monday. Maybe as things get closer, we'll see. But um, it's not Texas, it's not Oklahoma, I get that, but a good football team that's going to really press West Virginia's buttons in manners that will be familiar, I'm sure, but um, a lot of time to wrap our head around that, but that could be good news or bad news. Absolutely. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you next time.